welcome to God's Glorious Grace, a podcast from Hope Church Harrogate, where we are asking the question, have we really understood the grace of God? We're taking a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 1, considering a phrase of that chapter in each episode, and asking first what it teaches us about God, and second, how that affects our lives, hopefully with a good dose of warmth and fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. People have told me when when God looks at us, he sees his son. And I'm like, does that mean I'm sort of sneaking into heaven under like a a cloak of Jesus? Like, dippity-dippity-toe. I think this has the uh, potential to be profoundly changing on our relationships because judgment separates. I'm here today with Mark and Rachel once again. I was going to give you a uh, truth about each of them and you could guess which was which, but these are the two truths and you'll guess why this game isn't going to work when I tell you them. Uh, One of them was I've jumped out of a helicopter and the other was I got locked out of my hotel room in just my pyjama bottoms. And I realised that this is probably not going to work with a man and a woman on the panel. So uh, Rachel has indeed jumped out of a helicopter before you start getting other people into trouble. And Mark has wandered into the hotel bar in his pyjama bottoms. Um, Welcome to God's Glorious Grace. We are delighted to be going through this again. And we are going to continue our reading through Ephesians chapter one, looking at what we can find out about the grace of God. Today, we are on Zoom for the first time, thanks to the UK lockdown. And so we'll see if the laughter comes through you might lose some of the atmosphere. But Rachel, I think you're going to start for us by reading uh, the key verses that we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter one. Right. So today we're looking at Ephesians chapter one, verses three to six. Well, we're looking specifically at it a small bit, but it's embedded in this thing. Praise be to the God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Fantastic. And today we've got to the phrase to be holy and blameless in his sight. And the first question we consider uh, as part of this podcast is what does this tell us about God and his grace? And I guess, friends, the the obvious answer is that he sees us as holy and blameless. Do you think that's a good start? Perhaps perhaps that's actually too incredible to skip over. What do you think? This really used to bug me. I'm going to I'm going to be honest as a as a teenager. Um, because there was something, I, I loved the idea of being seen as holy and blameless, but I think what really used to bug me was like, does that mean he doesn't see me anymore? Does that mean like people have told me when, when God looks at us, he sees his son. And I'm like, does that mean I'm sort of sneaking into heaven under like a, a cloak of Jesus, like and, and he's in front of me and I'm sort of managing to, to get past. And I really wrestled with this this idea of, of, am I seen as holy and blameless or is Jesus standing in front of me? And so I sort of get past because I'm not being seen. Jesus is being seen. And, I, and so I think that's, it's a really important topic to wrestle because is, is God seeing us in just 
fooling himself or, you know, choosing to see something that's not real? Are we actually made holy and blameless? Is he actually seeing Jesus? And I think when you hear sermons, sometimes we all have a different take on it and it can get quite muddled. Yes. So this, uh, this verse, I think is right up there with the, the stunning verses like God calls us friends, that we've become children of God, that we somehow enjoy the same relationship that Jesus had with Father God. Uh, it, it, it is outrageous uh, to think that uh, broken people, sinful people, uh, because of what Jesus has done, uh, suddenly get this amazing declaration by God, by Father God, that we are holy uh, and blameless. And I think um, that because the Bible says it, I'm going to go simplistic and say it is true. It is true. And I think there's a huge issue for us as Christians when we take the truth and we bend it to our circumstance and therefore we lose the power and, and the wonder of it. I, I think there are things to explore here in terms of is this a declaration uh, just by God over us? Is it something actually that has is a reality now? Is it something we're growing into? Where, where does scripture point us? But it, it is a point of utter worship. And I think we've drawn this out before that, of course, Paul, even in this sentence, says in him, in him, he pointing to Jesus. It is about what Jesus done. And so this whole thing of praise be that we talked about a few weeks ago, this continues the flow of worship for me. This is something I might not fully understand. It's something I can't speculate about, but it's something I can worship for. And I think that's what it produces in me. It's just this wonder that uh, God sees me genuinely as, as pure, clean and unblameable. If we take what those words really mean when we're talking about holy here, we're, the word holy doesn't mean separated. It means actually pure and clean in his sight. And uh, I think what it for me points to is that I'm not half born again. I'm not half a new creation. Actually, the work of salvation is complete. When Jesus said it's done, it's finished. It means it's finished. And I am holy and blameless. And, and I, I think when you talk about some of that, but the reality for me is this is wonder. This is about wonder. Yeah, that's helpful, Mark. And I think it's 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 a good approach to take, isn't it? That if we take what the scriptures say, first of all, as uh, material and a prompt to worship, then we can start to go, oh, and how does this work? What does this mean afterwards? Because then we're doing that in light of what it is showing us about God. And But there is, and we can, we could, sit here together couldn't we and we could worship on the, this basis alone yeah. as oh, we've right. talked about uh, but there is some stuff to talk about and we've we've touched yeah. on it a few times which is um some people would take this and they'd say oh yeah this is about how god will see us later on you know when jesus returns this will be how god sees us uh, other people rachel as you were suggesting earlier would say oh well, this is because really he's seeing jesus rather than us and i guess the question that comes to mind for me is what is going on here is God in a sense denying the reality of the situation because like we've we've said this before I know me and I'm sure don't feel particularly holy or blameless and I know I'm not um, unblameable to take the, the definition that Mark just helpfully pulled out so, so is God denying reality in this or is his perspective 
higher or different or is there some kind of interplay of the two is he transforming reality in the here and now with this statement how would you sum that up I guess in a, in a sentence or two Rachel I think for me it speaks of the totality of what he has accomplished that that sometimes I I think it speaks to the shame concept for me that he has said it is finished. He has, he has removed my sins from me as far as the East is from the West. And yet I keep holding on to them to judge myself, to, to say that I, I, I see myself better than you see me, God. I, I, but what about this? And that I'm the one often who brings it back. And I think often we ascribe that to God, that he's the one who brings us back and accuses us and says, ah, but I've seen that bit of you. And you know, that, when you die, we're going to go through every mistake. And, and he's the one who says, no, it is complete. I have removed this. I see you as blameless. And I'm the one who says, but I should be blamed because mm. I know the mistakes I have made. And I think, I think for me, the awe comes in the completeness of he doesn't do things halfway and he doesn't do things for the temporary. Um, there is something that has been completed that I can rejoice in and still be aware of my, um, my, inability to earn what is given to me in the completeness of who he is i was having to hold myself back from amening in the middle of that and i think there's such a such a challenging thing that you said in that sentence in that that piece about there's almost a an arrogance to say that our perspective on our lives is better than god's perspective on our lives like who actually knows me better and that is a very challenging point for us to come to and go wow no if god has said this about me who knows me better me or God and I'm going to go away and chew on that because I think there's a lot of life to come from having our perspective on that renewed and changed that's so helpful Mark how would you sum up this or how would you express this challenge of um, not always feeling it but God declaring that we are holy and blameless in his sight yeah I think if we look at declaration just take it as a declared thing we have to recall who's who's making the declaration it's the one who said over the chaos, let there be light. And there blooming well was light. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if he's, you know, the, the, what I believe about myself will affect how I live. And so if I do see myself uh, from a sin conscious perspective, I'm sorry, I am going to continue to sin. And, and so this issue of declaration, if it is just a declaration, and I say that very guardedly, is is actually it's the most powerful declaration when jesus said my words to you are spirit and life um, and and he says to peter when peter says oh don't clean my feet don't do any of that he says no my words have made you clean and so we have to see that there is power in this declaration full stop that actually by the very fact that god who is creator says you are blameless and you are holy then actually there is a transformation part to that. And I think the other thing is our understanding of our new nature, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. And and there has to be a grasp that our new nature doesn't know how to sin. Our new nature doesn't know how to fear. It doesn't know those things. So the question is, what on earth is going on in our lives if actually we have a new nature? 
And I wonder if sometimes it's this business that our minds need to be renewed and actually we keep slipping back to living, as it were, from our old nature, which is dead, uh, and we forget that we're living from our new nature. And, of course, our new nature is definitely holy and blameless. You can't, uh, you know, it is it is the nature of Jesus. So, so for me, it's probably resolved in, in that, firstly, it's a creative word spoken over us by God. And secondly, that he has given me a new nature, a new nature that, that is the nature of Christ, uh, which is a sinless nature. Uh, and I think we might have said this before, but I, I do prefer what Dave Carr says about this. is not that I'm sinless, but I sin less. Uh, and I believe that comes through the process of the renewing of our minds. Um, yeah, that, that would be where, yeah. where, where I think with that. And so the question we're asking is, of course, in these first sections, what does this tell us about God? Yes. <clears throat> We've mentioned a few things. It, it tells us that uh, he knows us best. It yeah. tells us that he has done a finished work, doesn't do things in half measures. But it also says that he hasn't just done a sort of almost a category change. He hasn't just changed where we fall on the bit of paper, but he has fundamentally changed something about us. So we are different. I think I see it as an invitation, like you were saying about about a state of, you know, it's either we're this or that. And I think for me, I see it as a, as a constant invitation to exist in what he has given me. Um, I, I, yes, I think, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think you should cut this bit out. I'm not sure if we should go for the Disney pass analogy. I think we should cut that whole thing out. It's all right. And that's the, I enjoy enjoy disagreeing with myself. Me too. And that's the beauty of doing it as a conversation rather than as a, we've got the monopoly on truth and we've got this all sorted is we're, you know, how often do you go through something this slowly and go, well, what does that mean? And how do I express it? And how can I help other people understand it better? And I, I mean, I would say part of this comes down in some ways to language and concepts and our brains function differently. And so for yeah. some people, it would be really helpful to focus on an, an invitation to live in a new way. And for others, it would be really helpful to focus more on the fact that fundamentally, I, the old Adam is dead and I am a new creation. And God uses different language about things, I think, to communicate to us in different ways sometimes because he knows we're different. And we we just need to understand that it is something more than just an, an arbitrary, powerless declaration. It's more than a future-only reality. Um, it's more than us hiding inside Jesus's cloak and getting in with him. But there is something about us that is changed and transformed that changes the here and now because God is interested in the here and now. And he, he hasn't stopped creating in that sense. So I liked, Mark, what you were saying. He said, let there be light and there was light. And he said, you're pure and blameless or you're holy and blameless. And wow, lo and behold, you become holy and blameless in what he's done in, in causing you to be born again of the spirit. Yeah, I think I think we we can get quite caught up in some of this, but I think when you look at the scriptures, I mean, even what we've read to be the verb to be here. In other translations, you get the word should, and some others say could, and they're all valid words. Um, and in fact, the the Greek here, the word emi, uh, means uh, to be, but it means to exist, to happen, 
And so you've got this 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 thing of something that is, but also something that is 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 going to happen. The verb to be is a future uh, is a future text. And, and when you break down some of the classical verses, you do see that there's a very now element, and then you've got this we're becoming element. And then of course the ultimate is when we see him, we will be like him just as he is. And you've got that end. And and so it, it looks to me like it's like we're saved. We're being saved and we will be saved. The Bible gives us those three uh, elements as well. Um, but I think the joy comes in, in the fact that my father sees me like this. And, and what, do that, what does that produce in, in us is that his desires, obviously, are he knows what is best for our lives and he knows living holy and blameless. Is, is a wonderful thing that that um, you know I I've, I I think the the blameless bit is is forgiveness on steroids and I know that we're going to look at uh, forgiveness uh, but it is part of this wonderful nature of our Father that He has made that real decision that we are unblameable and I don't know quite how you can um, knit this back. But one wonders that if in the heart of Father he knows that though Adam and Eve made a choice to walk away, he knows that it was under the, uh, the, the deception of Satan. And he knows where the root of this really sits. And though we have our personal responsibility for our choices, he's, he's dealt the death blow to the one who actually had the power and hold over that we were slaves to. And I wonder if this is more radical understanding of the gospel and what the gospel has done that we struggle with. I think it's sort of like a reflection of where our starting point is, because we start in sin and the Old Testament, it's all about we are sinful people and we desperately try through um, the sacrifice system through staying holy through all the mitzvahs to 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 stay as as clean as possible and then go through the process and and do the sacrifices and and um, bring you know bring our offerings and do the scapegoat once a year and and see if we can get to as holy as possible knowing that our natural state is to slip back into that sin and I feel that when God has done this he has moved our our natural base point from sinful to try to get holy to then slide back to moving us to the completely other side where he has moved us into a state of of holy and and blameless that we then in our life process sin and do things and he then restores us to our new nature which is holy and blameless and that that our orientation of of where our starting point is where he's moved us to um, so rather than trying to climb out of a hole, we're trying to reclaim and and live out of 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 the new state that he has given us. It's it's where we naturally slide back to uh, that I think has changed. Yeah, that's helpful. So I guess in summary, isn't it good that we're not trying to write a commentary or solve all the mysteries of God in this podcast? But what we have seen um, uh, afresh as we've chewed over this phrase about God is that his grace means that he does see us like this. He does see us as holy and blameless, but more than that, he has transformed us, 
changed us to be holy and blameless. He is transforming us and changing us to be holy and blameless. And he will transform us and change us to be holy and blameless. And you've got that whole, it has happened and he's going to go on doing it. And one day that is all there will be. And that is an incredible picture of the grace of God at work in our lives. Now, however, it's time for Halftime Oranges. And we're going Christmassy this week, friends. Christmassy. I don't know how many days there are to go, but I've got three questions about Christmas that I'm the answers on that are going to spark discussion and disagreement. And we can pray for restoration of relationship afterwards. So first questions first about Christmas. What is the best piece of food on the Christmas lunch table? Pigs in blankets. <laughs> okay, I don't do Christmas lunch. Oh. My husband does Christmas. I know, I know. But that's because in my family, you stay in your pajamas all day and you don't do anything. So we do like slow cooker thing. So my favorite food on Christmas lunch is gingerbread cookies, obviously. It's because you just eat them all day. It's your main food on Christmas. I feel sad for you. I know. It's so I've lived here, I've lived here for 18, 19 years, and I'm only still coming around to mince pies. So let's just thank the Lord for small movement. Okay. He transforms us, Rachel. We've we've He does. (laughs) For the record, the best thing on the table is stuffing. Like Oh, I agree. I agree. I'll come on board with that. I agree. Um favorite Christmas tradition. I get the feeling Rachel might come from utter left field again here. The Americans and Christmas, eh? Uh, new pajamas the night before Christmas Day. Nice. Very nice. I mean, I nothing's up. better than new pajamas on Christmas Eve. Go Christmas ahead. stockings for me. This is this isn't big presents. This that's all after lunch. But yeah. but Christmas stocking, that exciting, what has people thought about that's that's in there? That that pot of smarties, that lollipop, and you know, that kind of stuff. Coins, gold coins, that kind of thing. Sugar coins. You get real gold coins. (laughs) That's amazing. Real gold chocolate coins. (laughs) (laughs) We're coming to Christmas at your house. (laughs) My favorite Christmas tradition is cooking with Christmas music on in the background, maybe carols from Kings. My dad had a particular Christmas album he listened to all the time. And if I walk into a house and there's that music on and I can smell there's cooking going on, no matter what time of year, I would feel Christmassy. I would be happy and content in my heart in that moment. Um, Final one. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? No, it is not. And it is a lie for everyone who believes that. Just because a movie happens at Christmas does not make it a Christmas movie. Christmas is about a specific value system that makes you feel a specific way, and Die Hard does not do that. Having said that, I love movie, just not as a Christmas movie. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. It depends what you're comparing it with. If you're comparing oh. it with the elf, Die Hard. <laughs> oh. Now, you see, in my house, it's, it's not versus elf, because elf is probably the best Christmas film of all time. You're comparing it against <laughs> Frozen. And Frozen isn't a Christmas movie in the story. No, it is not. Anyway, there we go. If you want to settle this debate about Die Hard and uh, you think we're utterly wrong, then you can get in touch with us and contribute to this very valuable discussion about Christmas. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> at hopeharrogate.co.uk. Join the conversation. Uh, but for now, we are going to move on. We've talked about what this phrase teaches us about God, shows us about his grace. 
but we don't just want to stay there. We want to move into the discipleship. How does this truth apply in our spheres of influence? How can we live in light of this grace in our everyday lives? And so perhaps a helpful place to start would be a recognition. We've touched on part of this already, that this is not how our world trains us to see other people at all. You know, we're trained to see people with cynicism and suspicion and uh, superiority, even the culture around us would would teach us. So how does this uh, aspect of the grace of God help us in relating with other people, would you say? I think for me, the rubber hits the road when it comes to people who have done an injustice to me. I think that's that's when like I feel I feel much easier to be gracious to people who are faulty and I'm like, oh, bless them. They're still growing. But like, it's, it's when, when I feel like this, no, this has been, there has been someone who has wounded me, who has done something that I feel is, is justice needs to be done. When you're, you're calling out to God and being like, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So I shall stand away, Lord, bring your vengeance, Jesus. Uh, you know, that sort of moment where you're like, oh God, I need to see justice. And yet and yet for me, this is this is where it gets crunchy for me, because I would hate to be judged on my worst day by people or by God. Uh, and uh, and there's there's a, a sense for me of my awareness of how many times have I been the person that someone else is is crying out for an injustice that I was unaware of. And and just my my deep my deep awareness that we are all can stand holy and blameless before God um, in his sight and yet still be imperfect and crunchy with each other. And so how, how can I give grace for other people to be on their journey of how God is dealing with their sin and is holding them holy and blameless and, and actually to trust God's process and delight in that process that there are people who have done me great injustice and I can get my heart to a place of celebrating that I trust that God sees them if they are if if they have you know come into Christ in the same way that God sees them and delights in them as holy and blameless, and that He is dealing with what is going on with them, and that I can love them and and celebrate the God who, even for those who have done the most injustice to me, loves them as His child and is taking them on a journey. And so like I've, I have a thing in my head that I never, if I haven't seen you in three years, I do not assume that you were the same as you were yeah. before. And so there, there are people who have done justice to me that I genuinely really would be really excited to see again, because I assume that you've been on a journey with God and that there is something exciting happening in your life. And um, for me, that's, that's where this thing really comes in for me, is how do I deal with those who have done injustice to me? And how do I celebrate God seeing them as holy and blameless and dealing with that myself? And there's a parallel there, isn't there, which is really interesting. We talked in the first half about how whose opinion of yourself would you trust more? Like who knows you better? Is it, is it you or God? And it's taking that same thing that exists in our lives and putting it onto other people. Actually, who understands the situation better? Who knows? And it there is a, uh, a call to trust God in the situation about the other person rather than just trusting them or just trusting your own judgment of the situation, that if, if God is in the mix and if he is able to not just change category, but transform people and, and delight to do that, then, then we can come in with, with a humility 
trusting God for the other person rather than exercising judgment or justice or vengeance on our own behalf. I think that's very, very challenging. Wow. Yeah, I think I think that what you said, Adam, is so right that it's only God who sees 2020 when it comes to people. Uh, and I love what um, L. Johnson says. He, he says, you won't know why people walk the way they walk until you wash their feet. Uh, and I think that's that's a, a sobering, but a real true reality that we can be so quick to judge uh, and, and so quick to get it wrong as well. Uh, I, I remember um, a co-worker who uh, was one of our worship leaders and um, uh, there was some complaints going on about his behaviour, his attitude. And um, I just happened to catch up with him and say, uh, I won't use his name, uh, go on, Fred, uh, tell me, how are things going? And he said, I'm utterly exhausted. I said, oh, why is that? He said, we've just had weeks of illness and I've been up every night with the children. And you go, okay, I've learned now why you are just a bit short and a bit sharp with people because you're absolutely exhausted. And uh, once you learn why, you know, ask the right question, sometimes that, that's helpful. And, and I think it's like a lot of things. Sometimes the, the uh, anger expressed to us isn't about us at all. It's about something else. And only God can really see that. I don't think that that means then we just ignore uh, behavior. I don't think that's right at all. Uh, you know, Galatians, uh, was it Galatians 6, one talks about with a spirit of gentleness, you go uh, and speak to someone. Um, and I think that's, that's the caution. It's, it's because we don't see uh, as God sees that we must go with, with, with spiritual gentleness. And of course, I don't know all of our journeys, and, and some people have come literally from hell. Uh, and actually what they're doing is really well. Um, but actually we judge them as being quite weak and quite imperfect. But in God's sight, he knows where they come from. And, and so I, I, I just say again, I think this has the uh, potential to be profoundly changing on, 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 our, on our relationships because judgment separates. Yeah. And I think, so that's so helpful, isn't it, in terms of how we approach other people yeah. and those situations. And so that, that affects us and how we approach it. We can also affect yeah. the situation, how a community of people approaches one another, because we can speak in with this wisdom of you don't know what people have been through. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know the process they're on. And that's all really helpful. There's a second strand, of course, which is just our general behavior and actions in life and, uh, you know, reading what the clever people say about this passage you know one of the people i think it was i think it was john stott he said you know we're holy and blameless in god's sight so we act it but that was like his summary about this this phrase so it's yes god has changed you to be holy and blameless so you act it and there is something about it transforms our behaviors not just our the way we interact with others but the way we reject temptation the things we do the things we don't do the places we go the things we watch um, there's something here of a call we were touching on the first half to live in this new nature to live this new reality to yeah. embrace the things of the kingdom that will endure and leave behind the things of the world that will perish yeah. be burned up be destroyed as jesus destroys the destroyers of the earth 
which is my current favourite verse in Revelation. So um, it's a good verse, isn't it? Now yes. it's come the time to destroy the destroyers of the earth. <laughs> isn't it, Lord? Um, uh, how, let's get practical. What practical things are there that we can do to, to live differently in that light? I often picture it like I <clears throat> have a heart garden. Like there's, I am responsible for the development of holiness within my heart. And, and therefore it is my job to see what's growing all the time. And so there are things that, that I see other people being able to watch that I know I can't watch because it just trains me to think about this thing or it trains me to see people this way or it grows in me and envy. And there's, there's something about a, a rigorous self-awareness of what is growing as opposed to judgment of what I think is going to be okay or not. And so I think, I think when I move from, is it okay to do this objectively for Christians? Uh, that is an unhelpful debate for me to have. My question is what allows me to walk with as much holiness before God and openness and sinlessness before him. And that might mean that I do things differently, not because I think you're wrong, but because I have, I'm in charge of my own heart garden and the Holy Spirit's going to point to stuff that's growing that I need to root out that somebody else may not be on that journey of, or that's not what God's talking to them about right now. And so for me, it's, it's about looking at what's growing and asking the Holy Spirit, search my heart. Oh God, show me what I'm doing. That is causing me to not walk in the ways that you want me to walk in. Um, and I found that has been a much more helpful process than getting stuck on is Harry Potter right or wrong? Uh, because once I get there, then I'm, then I'm just in an intellectual debate with, and I'll never figure it out. Very good. And so I think one of the wonders of, of the gospel is one of the things that brings us um, is freedom that actually we, we can press that pause moment particularly when we're considering people uh, and rather than react, but then respond that we can actually press that pause and make the choice. What am I going to live from here? Am I going to choose to live from judgment or am I going to choose to live from the grace that I have received? You know, the grace I've received is, as I think we said before, isn't just for my own blessing and my own benefit, but it is to be extended that I extend to you the grace um, that I have received, and 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 that saves relationships. It saves relationships. We we all know when when our hot button is pressed and we react. Actually, what we do is pour um, oil on the fire. We have suddenly uh, inflamed a situation. We're actually pressing pause, and we have the freedom to do that. God has set us free to pause and then choose my response, uh, and so. When we're talking about responding from the same grace that God has given to me, it's actually a helpful thing to say, actually, what, where, where am I in this? Where, where, where is that? What, how has God treated me? And therefore, I'll treat that. And we have that in that unforgiving servant uh, parable um, that uh, so often we've been forgiven so much. Such grace has been given to us. But actually, the minor things, we, we are terrorists over and uh, you know god says that that he's not happy with that uh, and so for me um one of the implications of this is that freedom uh, now to press pause and consider actually no 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 in his sight you are wonderful in his sight you are precious and, and this i wanted for me one of the biggest areas uh, for me in this is marriage i know not everybody's married but 
you know, sometimes we're very grumpy with our spouses and it's helpful to think that Father right now is dancing and twirling over them with utter delight and sheer wonderment um, and we can lose that in marriage. Uh, and actually it's good to pause, press pause and think, actually, I'm irritated with you, but actually Father God is never irritated with you and to get his perspective, particularly as men, you know, we married to uh, his daughter you know, that's a that's a that's who's your father-in-law. Well, actually, Father God's the far, ultimate father-in-law, and and I, I often think about that. I think no, actually, yeah, I'm irritated, but Father God is right now dancing and, and in delight over you, and and that's just presses that pause button and helps the response rather than just the that reaction. Yeah, the the pause button is a really helpful practical tool, isn't it? I was yeah. reading an article just recently eight helpful things to say to your kids something like that you know you know those articles and one of them she said instead of reacting to situations good or bad straight away say wow and you buy yourself <laughs> to think about how you want to respond to the situation you've just come across and I went wow how many times have I seen something and gone like responded straight out of my gut response to the moment rather than taking the option to buy myself three or five seconds and and respond in an educated and considered way because i can think that quick uh as that's really helpful and this you're right matt this is what that does you you can you have the freedom to buy ourselves we don't have to just respond out of the instantaneous reaction of our hearts all of the time and we can consider how we want to respond in a moment i I think in the same way we can consider the ongoing effects of an action or choice we might make we can consider how we're going to respond to a situation or a moment we come across. I think that's so helpful and incredibly practical outworking of this grace because we can choose to see how God sees and we can choose to be part of that process that God is going through in in bringing about holiness and blamelessness in other people's lives. I'm very impressed with my listness there. That's good pronunciation. (laughs) That's so helpful. Guys, thank you so much for that conversation. As always, we like to finish by praying that this would go from conversation and heads and thoughts into our hearts and a process. Mark, would you pray for us on the back of that conversation? Yes. So, Father, we just want to say we are amazed at the richness and the depth of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We we come again and we say thank you. Thank you that we are thoroughly born again by your spirit. Thank you that you've enabled us to be partakers of the divine nature. Thank you that the way you choose to see us is holy and blameless and you declare that over us. And so, Father, right now, I just want to speak those words over all that are listening right now that you you declare over them that you are holy and that you are blameless. And Father, we pray now that by your spirit, you would take those words and they would resonate through us, that we would be set free from cycles of sin consciousness, that we would stop beating ourselves up with deep regrets over the past, where you, by your amazing love and by the precious and an expensive cost of Jesus' death have brought us into this place where we stand before you faultless 
before your throne and we just are in worship and in awe and we pray for the transformation of our minds and of our thinking that will change how we behave, how we respond, how we react as we seek to walk in and walk out this truth that we are holy and blameless in your sight. Thank you, Father. We applaud you. We applaud you for who you are and for what you've done for us. We bless you. Amen. 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 We also like to point people to resources or things that can help them continue along this journey. We were talking about worship songs that help us uh, respond to this truth beforehand and highlighted two, which uh, will be commonly known to many of us. Cornerstone by Hillsong has that line, faultless stand before the throne which is really cutting to the very heart of what we're talking about here. And there's also the great classic hymn before the throne of God above, which takes this and it develops it in classic hymn language in a, in a wonderful act of worship. If you're the reading sort, we were talking about a couple of books also that help in this area. Desiring God by John Piper. It would be a classic example again, although Mark did say that the first time he read it, he threw it across the room. <laughs> and so I had to take him on a journey to receive uh, what was in there. So, you know, op open with caution. Would that be it? <laughs> <laughs> but you like it now, just in case John's listening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's classic. Fantastic. Uh, and the second in one. In case Mark... John's listening. <laughs> Hi, John. Hi, I can't John. believe you're listening. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> Just one of our famous listeners. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, the second book Mark mentioned, which I've not read, but uh, he was commenting positively about, was Pleasures Forevermore by Sam Storms as well, which has a section that's really helpful on this. So we hope this has been a helpful conversation to listen in on. We would encourage you to continue the conversation for yourselves. Next week, we move on to the next verse in Ephesians chapter one, which is a momentous moment, the speed we're going through, which is in love, he predestined us. And so we will chew that one over. Just a light oh, yeah. next time. We're Aaron. waiting in, man. We're waiting in. <laughs> we would love you to join us. Uh, if you've enjoyed being with us today and these are encouraging you, we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast. We'd love you to leave a review. Each week I say preferably five stars, but genuinely you can leave whatever review you like. That's okay. I would just like it to be five stars. That's all I'm saying. No pressure. Uh, you can also get in touch with us. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments and thoughts and responses. Podcast at hopeparagate.co.uk is the easiest way to do that. When we get our act together, there might be an easier way to do it. Uh, and we look forward to you joining us next week. So goodbye. Goodbye.